Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. As our eyes have focused lately on Supreme Court decisions, mob demonstrations, and the foreboils by our president, world events have been moving rapidly towards end times Bible prophecies. We are watching unlikely bedfellows in the Middle East collaborating to protect themselves against their common enemy. We've seen new leaders emerge or potentially ready to emerge, and yet we don't know much about them. We don't know what their agendas are, what their allegiances will be. We're moving ever closer towards war on many fronts and closer and closer to the world being aligned to the way the Bible said it would before Jesus returns. I'm Debbie Blank, reviewing with you current events around the world so we can understand how much is matching up with how the world is looking before Jesus returns. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. When old Western movies moved from one storyline to another, the narrator would often change scenes by using the familiar line, meanwhile, back at the ranch. While Americans have been deluged with domestic issues, we might need to be reminded that, meanwhile, back in Israel, another government has failed and a new leftist interim prime minister has taken over until another election, the fifth in three years, takes place in November. Meanwhile, back in Iran, They're reaching nuclear enrichment levels, sending their proxies massive amounts of missiles to use against Israel, and sending international assassination teams to kill Israeli civilians. Meanwhile, back in Russia, or Europe, or NATO, or the Middle East, just about everywhere, things are moving faster than ever with prophetic significance toward the eventual wars of Ezekiel 38 and 39, and perhaps Psalm 83. Today, we're going to get caught up with some of the significant world developments having an impact on us now, as well as rushing us to the fulfillment of end times Bible prophecy. I'm glad you started out with Israel, Jackie, because Israel is the foundation of Bible prophecy. For Jesus Christ to return, Israel has to be a nation in their original land. That happened in 1948 for the first time in 2,500 years. We can read about the importance of Israel becoming a nation again in Ezekiel 36 to 37, that dry bones passage that many of us have heard about. So Israel is the foundational stone for prophecy. Everything that's going to happen in the future is all about Israel. So we have to look to them. They had this new government that was formed a year ago. Benjamin Netanyahu was the longest running prime minister ever. And this new government wanted to get rid of him. As a matter of fact, the parties and elected officials didn't really run on a platform. The platform they ran on was ABN, anybody but Netanyahu. That was it. And as a matter of fact, now that they're looking at a new election, they're going back to that old theme, anybody but Netanyahu. They felt that he was too much of a kingpin in Israel. So they have tried to enact laws so that he couldn't run again by saying anyone under indictment could never run again. And he's potentially under an indictment, though right now it seems like he might not be indicted for anything. 
Also, they're trying to say that anyone who's been elected before can't run again for X number of years. They're doing anything they can to get rid of him. Now, what's interesting is that Bennett has been a somewhat conservative prime minister over there, but the person taking over after him, which was the agreement he made when he formed his government, is Yair Lapid. Yair Lapid is very liberal. He is actually not an original politician. He was a journalist and then a TV broadcaster. Until about 10 years ago when he decided to get involved in politics, he had no political background. He is the only prime minister who didn't finish high school and who has no combat experience. Every other person, of course, in Israel has to serve in the military. So he served in the military. But at the very beginning, he developed some kind of allergies. So they made him the journalist for some newspaper using his skills as a journalist. So he really doesn't have the political background that all these other ones have had, especially Netanyahu. Benjamin Netanyahu is the kind of guy that understands what's going on politically around the world. All the things that you mentioned at the introduction, he knows that. He understands that. He knows how to work with these people and what to do against them when they're enemies. I'm questionable whether the next three months are going to be positive for Israel because I don't know that Yair Lapid can handle those situations. And as a matter of fact, he's the one who met President Biden when President Biden went there. The concern we have with that is that President Biden wants Israel to give up the Golan Heights in their northeast corner. When President Trump was there, he recognized it as part of Israel. And yet President Biden wants to take it away. He also wants Israel to revert back to their 67 borders. A right wing or Netanyahu will not allow that, but Yair Lapid might. So we could be seeing a lot of changes there, which is concerning from the biblical standpoint. In Joel chapter 3, verse 2, God says that I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Then I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my inheritance, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations, and they have divided up my land. That last part is key. God's going to bring nations to judgment who support or are involved in the dividing up of the land of Israel. And that's where President Biden is going right now in his affairs in the Middle East. When Bennett put his uh, coalition together, he had some pretty strange bedfellows in order to be able to do that. And that anything but Netanyahu platform really caused that to happen. And so there were some very, very leftist people in that coalition, and one of them being Lapid, who will now take over as prime minister for only a few months. However, I was reading what Amir Sarfati had to say, and for one thing, he says all the things that you had said about Lapid and how he didn't have the experience and so forth, and that he was so leftist, and he said, that's how much those people hated Netanyahu, that it didn't matter. And now this is what they've got. And he said, not only that, all of Israel's enemies know this. So it'll be interesting to see who takes advantage of what in the next several months. You talk about strange bedfellows in this coalition that he had. He also had Arabs, members of the Arab League, working in conjunction with him in the government, which meant they had access to a lot of the very important documents that Israel wouldn't want any of their enemies to ever see. They put Israel in a really bad position 
for a period of time. We'll see what happens in the upcoming elections. I'm not necessarily pushing for Benjamin Netanyahu, but I know that he has kept Israel safe, and that's really important. Uh, We also have some other changes in the Middle East in that discussion. When President Biden was in the area, he met with Palestinian leaders. Now, Mahmoud Abbas has been the president of the Palestinian Authority since 2005, but he's 87 years old. He's in really ill health right now. So there's a lot of discussion of who will be taking over for him. One of the possible successors is Hussein al-Sheikh. Well, we don't know a lot about him. When uh, Mahmoud Abbas became the leader in 2005, The United States was pretty excited because they thought he was someone they could work with to build a peace agreement with Israel. But he has turned far left and not been willing to do that. So even though Hussein al-Sheikh looks like he could be willing to talk to the Israelis and willing to talk to America, one doesn't know what will happen when he gets in that position. So between the leadership in Israel changing and the leadership in the Palestinian Authority changing, We don't know what's going to happen by this time next year. Everything could change, but it is definitely something that we need to be praying about because it's all about Israel. Whatever happens over there is going to affect all of us. And we know from Daniel 9, 27, that Israel will make a peace agreement with a man we call the Antichrist for seven years. And that peace agreement will usher in the beginning of the tribulation period That is the time of God's wrath poured out on this earth, according to the book of Revelation. So if we get the wrong prime minister in Israel and uh, things change around the world in other ways, there could be a peace agreement forced on Israel that some unsuspecting prime minister of Israel might accept. That will be a devastating experience, not only for Israel, but the whole world. Well, there are certainly continuing concerns about Iran and its role and its attitude toward Israel, which hasn't changed at all. Their determination just gets more and more determined, more solidified. And the United States is much softer on Iran now with President Biden than it was under President Trump. And so the rest of the Middle East that's concerned about Iran themselves is feeling like, okay, if they get a nuclear bomb, a nuclear arsenal, as you said, they're building that up right now. They're not at all shy about telling people now. That makes those other countries decide to not only work with Israel, but also feel perhaps maybe they would have to get their own nuclear weapons as well. It's a very dangerous situation. Iran also has continuously used proxies against Israel. So what we have, um, Hezbollah in Lebanon, you can help me with these different ones because there's a lot of them. Who do they have to the... the They have Hamas Hamas. in the Gaza Strip. Strip. They have proxies, many proxies in Syria right now. Mm -hmm. They're setting up bases in Syria in order to attack Israel. They certainly have terrorist training in the Sinai Peninsula to just try and destroy Israel. So they're trying to surround Israel. They actually are even meeting with, they've had four meetings with the leaders of Saudi Arabia in order to try and, quote, mend fences, which is impossible. Uh, Mending fences there is like the Palestinians and the Israeli mending fences because the Iranians are Shiite Muslims, the Saudi Arabians are Sunni Muslims, and they're like the Hatfields and McCoys. They have totally different understandings of Islam and history of Islam. 
but they're trying to soften their relationship with Saudi Arabia. So Saudi Arabia will not build relationships with Israel. Israel, through the Abrahamic Accords that President Trump started, has made agreements with Bahrain and Morocco and the United Arab Emirates, Oman, and even talking, as I said, to Saudi Arabia because the enemy of my enemy is my My friend. friend. And they see that if they can work together to fight Iran, then Iran will not come up and destroy them because they will destroy Israel first. But then they're going to go after Saudi Arabia. And who knows? They say the great Satan, which is the United States, too. We don't know exactly what they're going to do, but they're building all of these centrifuges and they're building these atomic systems we don't know what they're going to do with that. They say they're not using it for nuclear benefit, but quite frankly, why do they need to build anything there when they have all the oil they want to supply their energy needs? So that doesn't make sense. The head of the Atomic Energy Organization of Iran announced that Iran has begun to install their new IR-6 centrifuges, which are needed for weapons-grade uranium at their Fordo nuclear facility. And they're also increasing the number of these centrifuges at their Nantex facility, which are all well underground so that nobody can destroy them. So we have Iran out there who's the loose cannon. They are certainly mentioned in scripture as we've talked about just recently in Ezekiel 38 and 39 in a coalition with Russia, Turkey, Sudan, and Libya. Something will be afoot in these last days, and developing nuclear weapons is important. We also know that just a few weeks ago, someone, supposedly was an organization within Iran, destroyed a steel plant in Iran, which causes a lot of problems because they can't build their facilities, they can't build their nuclear plants, they can't do what they need to do if they don't have the steel to do it. So they're having a lot of problems internally as well as the world not being in favor of their direction. Now, President Biden, unfortunately, has been trying to reinstate the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action that President Obama signed with Iran back in 2015, but which President Trump negated. When President Obama signed that agreement, he gave them hundreds of millions of dollars cash. He took over there so that they would sign this nuclear agreement. Well, I understand that President Biden has offered them all kinds of cash in order to stop their nuclear production and to reinstitute the JCPOA. When he first went to them, they were so shocked. They said, we'll have to get back to you. And then they realized that President Biden was so intent on doing this that they just asked for more and more stuff. And they still are asking for stuff. We don't have any change in that yet. But Iran's playing the United States again. Yet, at the same time, they're building their nuclear program. And it's not going to be for good, because remember, they're Shiite Muslims. They have a religious belief that in order for the 12th Imam to appear on the scene, there must be chaos on the world. And they're trying to develop that chaos so that the 12th Imam will appear. I was just thinking about the weapons that are going to the proxies. And thank you so much for explaining who those proxies are. They surround Israel, and they do the bidding of Iran, and Iran supplies them with missiles and so forth. And so aside from even the nuclear, there are more missiles, I hear, given to the proxies right now than they had in the whole war that they had previously with Israel. We remember those pictures of the Iron Dome, and it was able to get those missiles and and, uh, deflect them or blow them up or whatever before they ever reached Israel. Well, each time they had to do that, that cost a lot of money. 
there was a number of um, missiles that they used at that particular point in time. I guess now they are giving their proxies enough missiles that there will be that many missiles in a day that they can fire at Israel. And so they can't possibly, as wonderful as the Iron Dome is, they're going to need to be doing something else to protect themselves. That's right. And by the way, I forgot to mention the Houthis that are fighting against Saudi Arabia, that are proxies of Iran. Well, let's move on to Russia, because Russia has been interesting. We talked about them again a few weeks back in their war with Ukraine, but a couple of developments have come up there. First of all, they've defaulted on their external debt. That's the first time that's ever happened since they've been the Russian Federation. They say it's because they're locked out of the world financial markets because of the sanctions. So they have the money, they have the rubles, but they can't get the transactions and and pay what they need to pay. And that's probably true. What we also know is that they are really getting hurt in their economy with the sanctions that are being put against them by all the Western powers since they have gone to war against the Ukrainians. So they are struggling in Russia right now. Keep in mind, Europe buys 40% of their gas and 25% of their oil from Russia. Well, that hasn't happened because of the sanctions. That's causing problems in those countries. But Israel has just signed an agreement with Europe that they will supply energy to them through the year 2050. Russia's not going to like that. But Russia has bigger fish to fry right now than Israel. However, if the United States and NATO do not stop Russia from what they're doing, it's just a matter of time before they go into Israel. Here's an interesting thing. Russia has a state on the Baltic Sea called Kaliningrad. It's a separate state from Russia, but it's part of Russia. It's just removed. What happened is at the end of the Cold War, the Baltic states each broke free, and now they're all members of the EU, and soon all of them will be members of NATO, which has left this little piece of Russian territory as an enclave, surrounded by EU, surrounded by NATO, and two countries away from Russia. But what has happened is that because of all the sanctions, Lithuania, which has a railroad that runs the goods from Russia to their other Russian country, has stopped running luxury items, has stopped them from being put on their railway. They will allow people to go through, but they won't allow the goods because of the sanctions. Well, Russia didn't like that because it took away their opportunity to use the Baltic Sea. You see, the Baltic Sea is the only ice-free port for the Russians to ship things. Their other ports during the wintertime are frozen. So they have made threats against Lithuania now, which is immediately on their west. We're seeing some real interesting situations going on with Russia and their fights. We know that Sweden and Finland have now been asked by NATO to join them. They said they wanted to, but NATO has asked them and Turkey has withdrawn their resistance to that. So all of the states adjoining Russia will be NATO states and all of the Baltic states will be NATO states. What does that mean for Russia? Well, keep in mind that NATO's purpose is to guarantee freedom and security of its members through political and military means. Its unofficial purpose really is to preserve peace in Europe and protect democratic nations from potential attacks from the Soviet Union. Russia doesn't want these groups to become part of NATO. If they do, then they have the full backing of NATO behind them to fight Russia when Russia goes in and tries to take them over. 
one of the things that Russia said that they were concerned about as far as Ukraine was that they were pushing for membership in NATO and they didn't want any more NATO members, any uh, NATO members that were that close to Russia. That's always been a threat to them. They've been very clear about that. And now, ironically, what's happened with all of this is that more nations are joining NATO. So it's just really pushing Russia into more of a corner. Right now, they have 30 members. But as of June of 2022, five additional states have formally informed NATO of their membership aspirations. So that's a real advantage to NATO because the more members they have, the more money they have, the more arms they have, the more fighters they have. And that's significant because they have increased the number of soldiers on their borders up sevenfold with this Russian incursion into the Ukraine. The NATO Secretary General recently said that they will increase the number of soldiers as defined on their high alert to 300,000 soldiers, which is the most since World War II. Even the United States is sending more troops. We've stepped up. We're proving that NATO is more needed now than it ever has been, our president recently said. He says he's going to send 100,000 troops to Europe so that they're ready to help out the different states and NATO. They're sending more military equipment, air defense artilleries, short-range air defense battalions are going to be going in Germany. They're even sending short-range air defense to Italy, which isn't anywhere near the border. But the point is... The United States is getting much more actively involved. They're going to spend $3.8 million annually on the European Deterrence Initiative, it's called, to help NATO. I think it's wonderful that we stand up for freedom all around the world, because if we don't, people like Russia will take over. But on the other hand, we have to look at what's happening to our current military. Our military is dwindling faster than it ever has in the history of our country. The Army's losing 25%, the National Guard 13%, the Reserves 10%, 24,250 active duty soldiers are going out of the service because of the President's vaccine mandate. Senator Tom Tillis cautioned at an armed service hearing recently that the Marine Corps' top manpower officer lamented it was the most challenging year they've ever experienced for signups since they eliminated the draft 40 years ago. The Air Force officials have 2,300 fewer recruits than it did last year. The Army's 50% below its goal. We are not recruiting people into our services because of the woke mentality, because of the direction of our military, because of the vaccine mandate. Lots of different reasons. And yet we're still sending people over to Europe. That's a problem because we might not have enough service people to help in other parts of the world. It seems to me that we have forces in over 100 countries in the world doing some kind of peacekeeping. So we're going to have a hard time maintaining that peacekeeping force. I heard an official allude to the fact that perhaps we're going to need to go beyond our volunteer forces. So you know what that means. Somebody is bringing up the idea of bringing back the draft. Mm-hmm. And that may be necessary. So we've talked about the building political pressures, geopolitical pressures that could bring us close to war. We've got a pressure cooker kind of a atmosphere in Europe right now. If, if one little thing goes wrong, if Russia feels more threatened by Lithuania, if they cut off this food supply to this enclave that you were talking about, they may feel like they have no choice but to go to war. If they go to war with a NATO nation, which Lithuania is, for an example, then we have a war 
we have a full-fledged war in Europe. Who would have thought? So we have those kinds of pressures. We have economic pressures. And one of those economic pressures is stagflation. Some of us, we remember that term, but we haven't seen it for a while. Tell us uh, what it is and why is that a terrible thing? We lived through that in the 70s when our interest rates went up to 21% in some areas. I remember driving 55 miles an hour to get to Denver one time because we were low on oil and we had to conserve it. And therefore, the best way to conserve it is have 55 mile an hour speed limit. According to a recent report from the World Bank, stagflation is a real possibility. So what is it? Stagflation is characterized by slow economic growth and relatively high unemployment, which is also accompanied at the same time by high prices. And we've certainly seen inflation, inflation rise. I think it was 8% in May we're really getting hurt by the increase in prices. Stagflation can alternately be defined as a period of inflation combined with a decline in the GDP, the gross domestic product. So that means we're not producing as much as a country in order to make enough sales in order to bring up the economy. And at the same time, we have inflation going on and higher interest rates, which will bring about stagflation. When we came out of the 70s, It was a difficult time because of that. And we didn't think we'd have to go through that again. But we are right on the precipice of it now. And now we are experiencing the loss of goods where the store shelves are empty and it's hard to get product. People are storing up because they don't know if what they need will be available, both because of famine that might be and is projected to be coming on our horizon, as well as the supply chain, which is not able to make or produce the items or get them to us in time. All of these things are adding up to a perfect storm financially, economically. Uh, The war in Ukraine and the lockdown in China, the supply chain, as I mentioned, the risk of stagnation and and hammering growth, And what's going to happen to us over a period of time if we continue to have this huge inflation? They're talking now about reprinting money by this fall because we will not have the money to pay off our $40 trillion debt if we don't print new money. When money is printed, then the current cash that we have is deflated. So our dollar shrinks to maybe 90 cents. And you might not feel it right at first, But it happens at the grocery store when you go to buy things, and we will see it over time. We already have people who can't pay for food anymore because it's too expensive for them. That's stagflation, and this is the World Bank that's saying that we're going to be seeing this. So it's not just us. It's worldwide. And as we know, because this world is leaning towards a one-world government, we're all interconnected. What's happening in Russia has affected us financially. What's happening in China is we're looking at some major changes. We need to be in prayer and we need to be prepared for that because the United States that we knew financially is going to change. And so is the rest of the world with us. Well, it certainly isn't fun talking about all these things that are going on in the world. We didn't talk about any of our domestic issues. We really haven't talked about China. But I do want to say that Amir Safadi said recently, for the first time in NATO history, China is presented as a threat in an official NATO conference document and is said to be trying to undermine the world order. 
the G7 countries have implemented a rigid line against China because they're manipulating the global markets. So there's a lot going on in China, too, and North Korea and all over the globe. But that's just the tip of the iceberg that we've been talking about today. And it's not fun. I'd rather talk about good things. I'd rather talk about the Bible and the fun things that are going on. But we need to know what's happening. It's important for us to see how God is working in this world and what he's doing and what is happening to prepare for his return. Daniel 2.21 says, It is God who changes the time and epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. So God is in charge of all these world affairs that are going on. We need to be in prayer that God would bring people to himself before this great and terrible day of the Lord that is soon coming based on all of the biblical activities that we're seeing in this world today. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.